There's so much in me that desires what is contrary to the way God has created me to be. I, 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 I resonate with that. I understand that I'm broken. But then on this other level, like sometimes we're like, but the man, dead? Dead in our sins? Children under wrath? And I think that's even part of our brokenness is that we have a hard time accepting what the Bible says as being true of us. And then society as a whole absolutely rejects this. Society as a whole does not even begin to embrace the idea that human beings are broken. Society, if if we try to conform what is true to what we want to be true, we, we reinvent truth all of the time and we redefine right and wrong to fit our, our fleshly desires, the things that, are, that we desire that are contrary to God. In fact, we just throw off God. We completely reject the idea that there is a moral authority over us and we define right and wrong for ourselves. But the Bible is clear. We are dead in our sin. That's what the Bible says again and again. And Paul starts his gospel presentation here in chapter 2 with, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So we need to start with an understanding of that. The proof of that is what he says next. That we lived according to the ways of this world. The ways of the devil, which he, def- he, he describes here as the ruler of the power of the air. The spirit now working in the disobedient. And our flesh. Christians a lot of times will talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those are our three enemies. Those are the three things that steer us away from God. Those are the three things that live in conflict to God. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world that we live in, culture as a whole, the society of humankind is, is in and of itself a force against God. And then we have our own flesh, the force within us. We don't even oftentimes need the help of other people. We, in and of ourselves, desire what is wrong and go contrary to what God has commanded us to do. And then, of course, the Bible is very clear that this world is not just a physical world. That there is a spiritual dimension to our world. And the ruler of the power of the air of this age is Satan himself. That sounds like fairy tale talk to so many today to speak of a devil, a literal devil. But the Bible is clear. When we were dead in our sins, we lived according to the ways of this world. We lived according to the influence of the evil one, and we lived according to our flesh. That is the evidence that we were dead in our sins. And so if you can see in yourself that those three things were true of you, at least at one time, if not presently, that you lived just like everybody else in the world. You were going with the flow. You lived according to the things that the devil would want you to do instead of the things that God would want you to do. And that you lived according to the fleshly desires that you had to sin against God. I don't know about you, but that's exactly how I lived. That's, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I remember before Christ came into my life, just, just I, I, I believed in God. I even believed the gospel. I believed that Jesus died for my sins. And, and I believed that, embraced that message at a young age. But I was like, God, you just stay over here. 
You just let me do my thing for a while. And then later on when, when I, I don't know, I guess I pictured I would come to an age where like you, you get so old you don't want to have any fun anymore or something. And I just thought, well, later on I'll become religious. Later on I'll attend to my relationship with Jesus. But for now, you just, you just stay there, God. I got plans. I got things I want to do. And I remember when God interrupted those plans in a dramatic way in my life. And he changed the course and the direction of my life. We're dead in sin. We're dead in our trespasses. And as a result, we are under wrath. We are under God's wrath. In a world that teaches we're all God's children and, and, and God must be a very understanding God when it comes to the things that we do against him or the things that we do wrong or however you want to say it. In a world that teaches that, that, there, that really we, we can just get to God any way that we want to, the Bible teaches that we're actually under God's wrath. That's not good news. It's not a good place to be, to be under God's wrath. But it says very clearly here in verse 3. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. That's not how I wanted to think of myself. When I was putting God on the shelf, I did not want to think of myself as being under his wrath. But there were times... When, when the thought of my own mortality would scare me, when the thought of having to stand before God would creep into my, into my consciousness and I would know in those moments I was guilty before him and that I would be judged as so. And then we have to wrestle those thoughts away. We have to put those thoughts aside so that we can go on and continue doing the things that we're doing that we want to be doing in our flesh according to the world. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We were by nature children under wrath. That's the condition that God comes to us in. When Jesus comes on the scene, what he sees is a whole generation of human beings who are dead in their sins and under God's wrath. That's what he finds when he comes to earth. I don't know if you've ever come, in, uh, if you've ever come up on a car wreck before like the emergency personnel got there and stuff Uh, it's happened to me several times it can be very scary you're like you're walking up you're like I don't know what I'm going to find here Um, I hope I hope it's okay I hope what I'm walking into is is not going to be too traumatic Um, there was a time when I was sitting in an intersection near my home and a lady in front of me we're at an intersect we're at a stop sign uh, that was we were turning onto a, a very busy road where cars go pretty fast and the, the car in front of me just inexplicably pulled right out in front of another vehicle. Like never saw it. Just didn't think that they were going to get in front of them or anything like that. Just, just was somehow completely blinded to the fact that there was a car coming very quickly and they were pulling right into them. And I, and I watched it happen right in front of me and I was just like... Un- unbelievable what just ha- what possessed this person to pull out and I remember getting out of my car and, and running up to the vehicle and ended up being a lady I run up to her vehicle to see if she's okay and she was an elderly lady I found out later she was about 80 years old and I, there's no explanation for why she pulled out when she did but I remember um, as I was trying to engage in conversation with her and see if how she was feeling and, and just try to be there with her until somebody who could actually help got there. She, she kept saying, my, my chest hurts, my chest hurts. 
And I looked down at her, and, and I saw her leg, uh, like if she's sitting like this, her leg, the knee was back here, and the, and the bone, you know how, like, see how mine's doing this? Hers didn't do that. <laughs> it was like, let's go over here and come back over here. And then I just remember thinking, yeah, let's talk about your chest. <laughs> like, I'll bet your chest does hurt. Just don't look down. And, and, and that's exactly what happened. She just completely shattered her femur and in her state of shock had no idea, which was very good for me. Not good for her, um, but very good for me. I very quickly turned the scene over to somebody who seemed more qualified to deal with that type of trauma than I was. But I never forget that feeling of, of coming up on the scene. What am I going to find? And I think Jesus, when he comes to earth, he comes and the scene is a disaster. Every single human being is dead in their sins and their trespasses. Every one of us under the wrath of God, living according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's the scene that Jesus comes on to. And he comes to bring life. And he comes to bring salvation. And he comes completely prepared to deal with what he's walking into. And he enters into our human history As the only one qualified to be our Savior. The only one capable of doing what needs to be done to save mankind. This is how he comes. It says, let's look at verse 4. So the scene is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are by nature children under wrath. We're proving this by living according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And Jesus comes and it says in verse 4... But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. And so the next fill in the blanks that you see on your handout says this. But God made us alive in Christ. When Jesus comes into our lives, we're dead, we're, we're under wrath, we're living according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are as messed up as messed up can get. Now, I'm not saying that you've committed every sin imaginable. I'm just saying that in your state of being, you're dead. You're under God's wrath. You are without hope before Jesus comes. Even what we would consider to be the best of us. Because we have this scale of morality that we measure each other according to. And we think there are good people and there are bad people. And I guess from our perspective, that's not necessarily untrue. But when God weighs our morality, when God weighs our good and bad, His judgment is the same of all of us. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Under the wrath of God. But God makes us alive in Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in trespasses. Then it says you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Just before um, we started this sermon series, we did a, a sermon series on the salvation of man. And one of the things that we talked about as we looked at Romans chapter 7 and 8 was that Jesus not only saves us from our sins, but he, 
he has in the future for us an inheritance that is beyond measure. An inheritance that is beyond our ability to even grasp or comprehend here and now. And we see that here again. In the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. When Jesus makes you alive, it's not just that he forgives your sins. It's not just that you're going to die and go to heaven. It's that he unites you with himself. He raised us up and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. We are united with Christ. We are united with him in his glory. We are united with him in the work that he did on our behalf here on earth. He paid for our sins. He lived the righteous life that God required. And he, he unites himself to us eternally. That's why he can say that we are his body. That's a very intimate relationship. For, for Jesus to say that we are his body, in fact, he even describes the church as his bride. He has committed himself to us eternally. But first and foremost, he has made us alive. God comes, and when we are dead in our sins and our trespasses, he makes us alive. I love the story of Lazarus. The story of Lazarus, if you're not familiar with it, is the story of one of Jesus' friends during his earthly ministry who fell very ill. And as he was very ill, perhaps on the brink of death, according to the people around him, people sent to Jesus because Jesus, during his earthly ministry, healed lots of people of physical illnesses. And so his friends knew that if he would come and, and, and use his power to heal Lazarus, that Lazarus would be well. And so word comes to Jesus, and he's, he's, he's a couple towns over, he's a little ways away, and word comes to Jesus, and... Um, his disciples are wondering what he's going to do. And what he does surprises everybody. He waits. He waits. He doesn't leave immediately to go to Lazarus. He doesn't go to show once again that he has the power to heal sickness. That he has the power to drive out disease. He waits. And while he waits, Lazarus, Jesus' friend, dies. And then he goes. After waiting long enough for Lazarus to die, Jesus then goes. And when he gets to Lazarus' home and to his town, everybody's mourning, especially Lazarus' sisters. He has these two sisters, Mary and Martha. And one of them comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, if you had been here. If you had been here, my brother would not be dead. As I was reading that story again this morning, that, her words really impacted me. There are a lot of times in life where we go through things. Where it's not that we don't think Jesus could change it. It's that we wonder why he didn't. And we, in our own way, say, Jesus, where were you? Isn't, isn't that what she's saying? Jesus, where were you? I sent for you. I asked you to come. I asked you to come and save my brother from where we're at now. I know that if you would have gotten here just a couple of days ago, we wouldn't be in this position and Lazarus would still be alive. In fact, he would be well and we'd be carrying on and we'd be joking and we'd be having a good time like we normally do. If you had been here, 
Jesus, where were you? I don't think you really know Jesus until you go through some of those where were you moments in life. I don't think you know him the way he wants you to know him. Because Jesus could have come. He could have come and he could have made Lazarus well. And he could have reminded them that he has the power to heal sickness. But he wanted them to know him more than that. He wanted them to know something about him that they didn't already know. He wanted them to know that he doesn't just have the power to heal sickness. But he has the power to raise the dead. He needs them to know that. And he needs you to know that. He needs us to know that. And so sometimes I think he lets us go through those moments those seasons, perhaps, of Jesus, if you had been here, or Jesus, where were you? Jesus, if you wouldn't have let this happen, it's, it's, it's a hard thing at times to know that God can fix your problems and yet chooses not to. And it's a necessary thing to know that God can fix your problems and chooses not to. Because it's through those seasons that you get to know him in a deeper way and to know him for who he is. He's not just the God who can fix the problems that you see in front of you here and now. He's the God who controls the whole universe. He's the God who has everything under his sovereign control. He's the God who has a plan in all things. He had a plan for Lazarus' death. He had a plan. And Jesus, and when she comes, when the sister comes up to him and says, Jesus, if you had been here, he wouldn't be dead. And, and, and he starts to console her about resurrection talk. He starts to speak of resurrection talk. And she says, yes, yes, I know. In the end, when everybody is resurrected, he will be resurrected. And, and she says, but I know that you can do all things. And so even in her moment of, Jesus, if you had been here, I, I still believe. I still believe that you could do something. And sure enough, he says, where is he? And they take him to Lazarus's tomb. And the Bible even tells us he's been in the grave long enough to start to stink. Just in case... We are tempted to think that maybe he was in a coma and they thought he was dead. Or maybe some medical phenomenon was going on that they had not yet accounted for in their medical knowledge at the time. And he wasn't really dead. The Bible tells us he started to stink. And Jesus goes to his grave and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus gets up. Hopefully he didn't stink anymore. Lazarus gets up and he comes out. Jesus has the power to raise the dead. That's what he wanted them to know. He wanted them to know him in a deeper way. He wanted them to know him in a way that was beyond what they had already experienced. And we need to know that Jesus has the power not just to raise the physical dead, but because he goes to the cross, dies for our sins... Because he himself is subjected to death and then on the third day rises from the grave. He has the power to bring life to those who are dead in their sins. Which is a far greater miracle than being raised physically. To be raised spiritually means eternal life. Lazarus' body died again after that. 
The greatest miracle that ever happened in Lazarus' life was not that he was physically raised from the dead. It's that Jesus had the power to spiritually raise him from the dead. Because once you are spiritually raised from the dead, that means eternal life. It is good to desire long life on earth. It is good to desire the physical healing of our loved ones. It is good to pray for and to ask God to extend life here on earth. But do you see how much that pales in comparison to eternal life? What is another five or ten years on this earth compared to an eternity with Jesus forever? And Jesus raises the dead. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul reminds us that but God, when we were dead in our sins, when we were in the grave, and when we were starting to stink... God, who is rich in mercy. Why? Because of the great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. God made us alive in Christ. If you have been born again, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, if you have received Him as your Savior, the Bible calls that being born again. If you have been born again, then there was a day, whether you heard it or not, that Jesus stood outside of your spiritual tomb and He said, you go ahead and come out now. He makes us alive in Christ. He comes on the scene and there we are, dead in our trespasses and sin. By nature, children under wrath. Living completely apart from him according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Maybe like, like me, you were aware of him. You believed the message, but you were like, just, just hang out over there till I'm ready. Just stay over there. And I thought I was going to live that way a long time, but God came to me much earlier than I expected him to. And in the midst of my plans of living my life my way, according to my flesh and according to my desires, God came into my life and he made me alive in Christ. And I remember it well. I remember the night that Jesus saved me. And I remembered what it felt like to have the hope for the first time to have the hope that what I was doing to my life was not going to be the final answer, that Jesus had something very different in mind, and I woke up the next morning and I knew things had changed. I didn't feel as though everything had changed, but I knew things had changed. I knew that God had done something in my life because He is rich in mercy and because of the love that He has for us. He makes us alive in Christ. Let's keep going. The next thing on the handout you'll see is that this is a gift of grace, not a result of our works. This is a gift of grace, not a result of our works. It says in verse of our, if we look back at our passage in Ephesians 2, in verse 8. Let me read verses 8 and 9 again. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift. Not from works, so that no one can boast. A couple things. 
to pay attention to here. We're saved by grace through faith. Faith has to come into play in order for salvation to occur. It is a gift that God gives us by grace, but there has to be faith. You have to believe in a, in a way that implies trust. The biblical use of the word belief always implies trust. It does not, it is not, is not, um, cannot be accommodated for by simply mental assent to a bunch of ideas or thoughts. In other words, I believe 2 plus 2 is 4, okay? But I'm not necessarily trusting in that until I'm put in a situation where I have to depend on that. When we say we believe in Jesus, it's not just that we believe that Jesus existed and that maybe he died on a cross and all that. It's that I'm trusting in that. That's where faith comes into play. We're saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, okay? You don't, you don't create it. God gives it as a gift. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. The gift of salvation is a gift of grace and is not from you. It is not because of your works. It's not because of what you've done. It's not because of what you're going to do. It's a gift from God that he gives to you by grace. Any religion that teaches salvation is the result of what you do. Any religion or even any version of Christianity that teaches that salvation is the result of your works or of your actions is not teaching the gospel of Scripture. The gospel of Scripture is that Jesus did all the work. That he did everything that God required. And that you and I don't bring anything to the table except for our spiritual death. Our stinking corpses. That's what we bring. Jesus does all the work. He lived the perfect life that God required. He never once in his earthly life sinned. He lived the life that God requires of you and then he goes to the cross to pay the price for your sins. To pay the debt that you owe from God. And then by grace he says here, I did this for you. I did this for you. It's a gift. It's a gift that he gives. He says, I want you to have this. Oh, okay, okay, I'll t- I, I, I want to receive that, but, but let me go earn it first. Let me, go, let me go get myself together. Let me go do all the things that I think you want me to do. No, 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 no. It's a gift. I'm giving it to you. Just receive it. Just take it. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. If you want what you earned, if you want what you have worked for, If you want what you deserve, you can have it. It's called death. That's what you deserve. That's what you've earned. That's your wages. What are wages? They're what we worked for, earned, and deserved. The wages that we are due is our death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift that he gives to those who believe. It's a gift given by grace. And so I just want to say it again. Any religion or any form of Christianity that teaches salvation is a result of what you do. If it's a result of your works, 
It's if, if it's a result of how impressive you are to God, that is a false gospel, not the gospel that we find in Scripture. It's a gift of grace. But we have to receive it. We have to accept it. Some people are, some people are unwilling to do so. Some people are just bent on being religious because it makes them feel better about themselves. Jesus does not afford us that option. If you want to feel better about yourself, look to what he was willing to do for you. Because your worth is determined in the worth that he assigns to you by giving you this gift of salvation. It's not because of what you do, but we, lo- we love to do things that, that make us feel like we've earned it. I've sat, I've sat through some just dreadfully boring church services. Maybe some of you are like, this is one of them. This, this, I, don't, I don't know. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. I don't know what else to do. Um, but I've sat through some dreadfully boring church services, and I've looked around. And I said, why do people do this? Why are they torturing themselves? There's no hope. There's no gospel. There's nothing good about it. It's just a bunch of religious duty. And you know what I think the answer is? is I think some people like that. I think some people, and, and I, th- I can see how I would fall into this, they feel like they did God a favor. I sat through an hour that I did not enjoy. I gave you an hour of my week. And, it wasn't, and the more unpleasant it is, the more we think he's impressed with it. That's religion. That's what we do. There, I did my duty. I checked the box for this week. You must be so pleased with me. You must be so happy that I did that for you. And the sad truth, the sad reality, the dreadful reality is that that gets us zero points with God. He's offended by it. You are dead in your sin. Living according to the world, the flesh, and the devil. Under my wrath. And you think that because you sat in an uncomfortable seat and sat through an uncomfortable service for one hour of the week, now I owe you something. That is not the gospel. That won't get you any points with God. I think that's offensive to him. That we, that we pretend that we could earn salvation by our good deeds and our good works, when He has already given, He has already given everything that was required for salvation. What we're doing is we're replacing the sacrifice that God has offered on our behalf, the most precious gift He could possibly give, His Son, Jesus Christ. We're replacing the sacrifice that He has made with the sacrifice that we are making instead. And do you see how offensive that would be to him? I gave my son for you. And you think that you can earn salvation by an hour a week, two or three times a month, or by giving money when the offering plate comes around? Do you see why this is not the gospel? Why this is against the gospel? It is deceptive. It is it is a false, false gospel to believe that we will work our way into God's favor or into his kingdom. To believe that we can get there anyway except for what Jesus did. To believe that we can come to salvation before God by any means other than the offering that he offered. The sacrifice of his son on the cross for our sins is offensive to him. And it's not the gospel.
That's why he says, you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. There will be no boasting before God. You will not impress him with what you have done. All we can do is have faith in what he has done on our behalf. All right, let me get to the last point so I can wrap us up here. The last thing on the handout, so then we work. Works have a very important place in the Christian life. But it is so important that we put them in the right place. If we place works on this side of salvation over here where we say our works lead to salvation, we've got the gospel all messed up. We don't have it right. We won't, we won't get right with God that way. But if we put our works on the other side of salvation... That is where God tells us to place them. Not to get to salvation do we work, but because he has brought us salvation, then we work. We are not just spectators in what God is doing here on earth. He calls us into action. So then we work, verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. He calls us to work, not to earn our salvation, but because he has gifted us salvation, now we enter into work. And it's always grace-fueled and grace-enabled work. That we work for him. That means that we get, in, we get involved in what he's doing. That means that we join in the mission that Jesus has given us to preach the gospel to all the world, to make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them what he has commanded us. We get involved. We don't just become spectators of what he's doing. There's something very, although I I love what we do on Sundays. I love that we gather together and worship and that I get to get up here and and do what I get to do. I, I love that, but there's something deceiving about this setup. We're in an auditorium where people come to sit and to observe. And if we think that that's all there is to the Christian life, if we think that's all there is to being a part of of any church, let alone Redemption Church, then we've deceived ourselves. We come here and our desire is that you get filled up. Our desire is that you have an encounter with God and that he's working in your life as you gather here on Sunday mornings so that we can go out and do what he's called us to do. So that when we leave this place, we have the tools that we need and we have the strength and the energy that he has provided for us during this time together to go out to the 150,000 people within 20 minutes of where we're sitting right now, most of whom do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and that we can work as laborers in his harvest field, seeking that God through us and through our lives would bring many more brothers and sisters into the kingdom. And that he would fill his kingdom with those who have been saved by grace. Who have been redeemed by him. Who have received the gift that God offers in Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you to work. I want to invite you to be laborers in his harvest field. I want to invite you to be followers of Jesus. To follow him out of this place today. And to look at the people around you and say, Jesus, use me. Use my life. Use my time, use my resources, use my home, use my car, use my family. Use us for your kingdom that many more would come to know you as Savior the way I know you. That's what he calls us to. So we're saved by grace. We're we're dead in our trespasses, but God being rich in mercy, he comes, he makes us alive in Jesus. And salvation is a gift that he gives by grace. 
And once we have received that gift, we are called into action. We are called to be co-laborers with Christ. We are called into this, into this work that he has been doing for the last 2,000 years of bringing souls into the kingdom of God. Will you join me? Will you join me? Will you be a worker for Christ? Whatever form that takes on in your life, there are a million ways you can serve Jesus. We have people from our church that have been going down occasionally to the Need Cafe in New Ken and serving and being gospel light there. We have people uh, through our small groups ministry that are planning during trick-or-treat outreaches or during trick-or-treat to be reaching out into their community and to be spreading the gospel of Jesus in some different ways. We have people that are, that are planning to be gospel workers in a variety of different ways and you can, you can take on any role that seems right in your life. We got people that are working in the cafeteria right now to teach our children. Those are the first people that God entrusts to us to declare this message to our children. And there are people who are faithfully working back there right now so that they might know Jesus too. Whatever God's calling you to, do it. Whatever gifts he's given you or abilities he has equipped you with, use them to work for the kingdom. Will you join me in this gospel work? I'd like to invite the worship team to come back up to get ready to lead us in a couple more songs. As they do that... Let's just take a quiet moment to reflect here on what Jesus has done. Would you close your eyes and just begin to think about the fact that Jesus has saved you by grace. That before he came into your life, you were dead in your sins. But that he loved you so much, he was just totally unwilling to leave you that way. And so before you were even born, he had a plan to come to this earth and to live the life that you needed to live, the one he knew you wouldn't, and to die the death that your sins deserve so that you wouldn't have to. And now he offers you this gift of salvation by grace, the forgiveness of your sins, a reconciled or repaired relationship with God, an eternal life with him forever. This is his gift to you. If there's anybody here who's not received that gift by placing your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to do so right now. Just, if you would, in your own words, just let Jesus know, I want you to be my savior. I believe what you did was for me. Come into my life. Teach me how to live for you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that uh, there might even be people right here, right now, who are receiving you as Savior, who are coming into the family, receiving this gift of eternal life, this gift of salvation. Thank you for doing that for us. God, and I pray as we prepare uh, to, to, to leave this place that we would do so empowered by your Holy Spirit, ready to be gospel workers, ready to go and take the message that we've heard here today, the message that you have given us of Jesus dying for our sins and being forgiven and given eternal life through faith in him, that we would take it out in many different ways. God, give us discernment in how you would like to use us this week and use our lives for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.